Yeah, we do share the same office indeed, and uh, actually sometimes Joel gets emails um, with people asking questions that he then forwards to me for a response, so um, it's, a, it's a, a good relationship. And uh, good morning, Bethel Church, or as uh, the Jewish way of greeting goes, shalom, and that means um, both peace and also hello and goodbye. It's kind of like aloha that way. And so I bring you greetings of peace today uh, from our ministry, and um, I hope that the Lord will have something good for us today here. Now, many of you know Jews for Jesus, especially through knowing Joel. If you're not familiar, we are a mission agency worldwide to bring the gospel to Jewish people in about 14 different countries around the world. And towards the end, I'll be sharing something with you about some things that really have us excited about what God's been doing in Israel recently because we have just, uh, at the end of May, finished a month-long evangelistic outreach in the city of Jerusalem in Israel. And we are very encouraged at the openness and the responsiveness that we are seeing uh, among Jewish people, not only Israel, but worldwide. And one uh, thing that Jewish people know about and have is the scriptures. Now, many of us actually don't know the scriptures. You may know the Old Testament better than most Jewish people do. But this morning, we are going to look at Jesus in the Old Testament. And here we have a... Um, kind of a key verse from the Gospel of Luke. This is on the road to Emmaus. And this is where um, Jesus is speaking to some of his disciples after the resurrection, and they're talking to him, and they finally realize that that's Jesus. And here's what he says to them. Everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms, that's the Old Testament. All of this has to be fulfilled. And he goes on to talk to them. I want to encourage you, if you're not a student of the Old Testament, to read it and grapple with it and study and work at finding out what it means. Because it has innumerable riches for us as believers in Jesus. I know that some people find it hard going. You know, you read Genesis, it's got great stories. You read Exodus, it's got a great story. They've made movies out of it. The Ten Commandments, uh, the Prince of Egypt. And then you get to Leviticus. And it's like the sequel that should never have been made. And people get bogged down. But I want to encourage you to grapple with the Old Testament because you'll find an awful lot there to undergird your faith. After all, Jesus and the apostles, you know what? That was the only Bible they knew. There was no New Testament yet when Jesus walked on earth. This morning, though, we're going to look at one way to approach the Old Testament, and that is through a couple of lenses that portray Jesus. The first lens is Jesus in Prophecy. When the Old Testament spoke of the coming of a deliverer and a redeemer and a Messiah who would save humanity, 
We first see this in Genesis 3.15. Now, isn't that a great picture? I think I had a cousin that looked like that once. But this is uh, from Genesis 3.15. Adam and Eve have just eaten the fruit in the Garden of Eden. They've rebelled against God, and now the whole world has changed. The great world that God intended for us is no longer there. Now it's a world of sin and a world of alienation and a, a, a world that's not the way God intended it to be. And so God now is going to start his program of bringing redemption and salvation to all of humanity. And in Genesis 3.15, we see the first hint about this. When God addresses first Adam and then Eve and pronounces curses on them for what they have done, he also addresses the serpent and says to the serpent, I'll put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. And in this, we see the first glimpse of the gospel in the Old Testament because we have a promise that someone will come who will bruise the head of Satan, who is ultimately the serpent, and that's a death wound. But then the serpent will attack and bruise the heel of this person, not a death wound. Perhaps a hint of the crucifixion to come, though. Why wasn't that a death wound when he died in the crucifixion? Because he rose from the dead. And then in Genesis 12, we get a little bit more of a glimpse into the coming gospel. God says to Abraham, go out of your country and from your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you, Abraham, a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you'll be a blessing. And I'll bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you, I will curse. And key thing, in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. You know, that's why we are here together as brothers and sisters in Christ. I'm a Jewish believer in Jesus. Most of you are probably not. But we are united in our faith in him because God promised to Abraham, the father of the Jewish people, not just the Jewish people will be blessed, but all the families of the earth will be blessed. And though Abraham couldn't see it at the time, that was pointing to the coming of Jesus through whom all of us, whatever nation we are from, are blessed in him. And there are many prophecies as the Old Testament goes on to point to Jesus. One of the greatest is Isaiah 53, the great prophet Isaiah, who spoke about the coming of the Messiah, whom we know is Jesus, and how he would suffer for our sins and die 700 years before Jesus came. This is what Isaiah said. He was pierced for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities, and the punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. And if you're here today as a Christian, you've experienced that many of your wounds and all of your sins have been handled through Jesus and will continue to be throughout this lifetime. And so the New Testament speaks of this uh, prophecy so many times showing that Jesus fulfilled it. Oh, let's, I can't do all of these. Let's go to Luke. I tell you, this scripture was, must be fulfilled in me, Jesus says. He was numbered with the transgressors for what, 
has written about me has its fulfillment. And when he was crucified, there he was between the two transgressors, the two criminals. First, Peter quotes Isaiah 53, that Jesus committed no sin, neither was the seed found in his mouth. Acts 8, great, great passage. The Ethiopian is um, going along in a chariot in Ethiopia, and apparently he's reading from uh, the Old Testament scriptures, and he's reading from uh, Isaiah 53. It says the passage he was reading was this, and it quotes from Isaiah 53, and Philip appears. Philip appears and says to him, you understand what you're reading? And he goes, no, not unless somebody explains it to me. So it says that Philip, starting from that very passage, began to explain that the whole Old Testament spoke about Jesus. And the Ethiopian got understanding. And he came to understand things that most of my Jewish people today don't know. Because we are a people far from God. And we hardly know the Old Testament and most of us today as Jews are atheists, agnostics, involved in New Age. We explore spiritually. But Jesus is still the big no for Jewish people. And yet if we only knew our scriptures, we would see that he's in there. Now that's one lens that you can look at the Old Testament to see Jesus, the lens of prophecy. Here's another way what they call types, which are basically pictures that point us, <coughs> excuse me, to Jesus. Not words, but more like pictures. Glimpses ahead. I love this. Okay, here we have a painting of a great Old Testament chapter. It is the um, story in Genesis 22. And in this story, you remember it? God calls out to Abraham. And he says, Abraham, and Abraham says, here I am. And then God says something so weird. He says, take now your son, your only son whom you love, and take him to the mountain that I'll show you. And there, sacrifice him as a burnt offering. Well, animals were sacrificed in the Old Testament, but certainly not people. And yet God tested Abraham, it says, and gave that command. And they go up the mountain. And partway up, Isaac, who's probably a teenager at this point, says, oh, I see the wood and the stuff to make the fire, but where's the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham says, well, you know what? God will provide. They keep going. They get to the top. Abraham ties up Isaac, his son, on the altar, raises the knife to kill him, and right then, the angel of the Lord cries out again, Abraham, Abraham. He says, here I am. And then the Lord says, don't lay a hand on the boy. Don't do anything to him because now I know that you love me because you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. Powerful story. It's read every year in Jewish synagogues in the fall on what we call the high holy days. And there's endless debate, what does it mean? What does it mean? Why did God ask this of Abraham? Well, I present to you here a painting by a Jewish painter named Mark Chagall. 
20th century painter, not a believer in Jesus, but he was always painting biblical scenes. So here, you've got Isaac in yellow on the altar. You've got Abraham there with the knife, and there in blue is the angel of the Lord coming down to stop him. On the left side there, you see a bush, and there's uh, a ram in the bush there because, as it turned out, when Abraham removed that knife and they looked up and there was a ram that became the sacrifice. But then in the upper right corner, you see something you don't expect from a Jewish painter because Jews really uh, don't read the New Testament, don't give much thought to Jesus. But there you see a scene of Jesus carrying the cross. See that? And there's the color red dripping down onto Abraham and Isaac. Mark Chagall knew something, I believe, that most Jewish people don't know. And he knew that there was a connection between the Old and the New Testament. And maybe he was even thinking of that verse in John's Gospel where we read that God so loved the world that he gave his only son, just like it says in Genesis when God told Abraham, take now your son, your only son, whom you love. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Maybe the most well-known verse in the New Testament. And there's a connection there. Now, Mark Chagall didn't take it all the way. But the connection is that the story of Abraham and Isaac is a picture of what was going to happen later when finally God sent his son. And that time he didn't say stop. That time the sacrifice was completed. And that's why our sins are forgiven. But when you read the story in Genesis 22, you get a glimpse of a greater father who offered a greater son for our benefit. Before we go to this, I'll, I'll mention this much. You know, Abraham called the name of that place Aranoyerah. Sometimes you hear it as Jehovah Jireh, which means the Lord will provide because he provided uh, the sacrifice right then and there. I don't know if you sing the chorus here. There actually is a chorus sung in many churches called Jehovah Jireh. It celebrates that God is the one who provides. And I love that chorus. It's actually half Hebrew and half English, and you have to make both parts rhyme. <clears throat> you kind of have to sing Jehovah Jireh, my provider, and just make it all come together like that. But it's, it's a great chorus. And if God provided that ram in place of Isaac, how much more has he provided Jesus, who's called the Lamb of God, for us? Now, another way we can see Jesus in the Old Testament, want to enrich your reading. When God appears in the Old Testament, sometimes he appears in the form of an angel or a, or a human being, but we know it's God. It's called a theophany. That means an appearance of God. Genesis 18 is a great example. Actually, another painting by Mark Chagall. Um, so here, it's the story of Abraham again. 
See, Genesis really is full of great stories. Abraham is there at his tent, and three visitors walk up to him. And Bar Chagall has them painted with wings uh, to indicate that they're angels, or so they seem to be, some sort of supernatural visitors. And Abraham prepares a meal for them, and they get to talking about how he's going to have a son, and Sarah will bear a child. And as they're talking, it starts to shade back and forth. He's talking to one of the men. Then he's talking to the Lord. But wait, then he's talking to one of the men. Then he's talking to the Lord. And what's happening is that we're meant to understand that at least one of these Visitors is the Lord himself. But as in the appearance of a human being, or perhaps in the appearance of an angel, it's kind of a glimmer of what we see later on in the New Testament when God doesn't just appear as a human being, but as we know, he fully became human, became one of us even as he was still God. But we get a glimpse of that in stories like Genesis 18, where God appears as a human being. And maybe it opens the door for us to think, well, if he could appear as a human being, maybe he could actually become human. And that's what happened in the New Testament. Jesus in the sacrifices is a fourth lens. And you know about sacrifices in the Old Testament. How did we have our sins forgiven back then? Sacrificed animals lambs, bulls, goats, and the animal went to death in place of us so that our sins were transferred onto the animal and we experienced life instead of the death that we deserved for our sins. Today, Jewish people don't sacrifice animals. The only place you could do that was in Jerusalem in the temple, and no temple has been there since the first century. So today, Jewish people pray, repent, do deeds of charity and fast, hoping that God will forgive their sins. And actually, it's only a small portion of Jewish people who even believe that. Most Jews today, secular, don't know what they believe about God and believe in sin about as much as anyone that you meet out there on the streets, which is to say not much. But the religious Jews still hope that God will forgive their sins. But God never said we could dispense with the sacrifice. And what we know from the New Testament is that Jesus became the ultimate sacrifice. It's in the book of Leviticus, the book that's that sequel that should never have been made. But in that book, you see all the riches of God's way of forgiving us for our sins. Interestingly, a young Jewish boy, when he's learning the Bible in a religious home, the first book they read is Leviticus. And they get them interested in it by um, like putting out the letters of the alphabet on a tray, the Hebrew alphabet, and they put a drop of honey on each letter, and then they let, let the kid lick off the honey to show that God's word is sweet and to get them interested. So if you have trouble with Leviticus, my advice is put a little honey on the pages of your Bible, and when nobody's looking, lick it off, and that'll get you into the text, won't it? So the book of Leviticus is the book that shows 
really how serious sin is, so serious that it needed an animal to go to death in place of us. But eventually, Jesus came as a better sacrifice than any animal. Mark, even the son of man, Jesus' name for himself, came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. John, for this reason the Father loves me, because I laid down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. So many other verses. Um, 1 John, this is love, not that we've loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. And in this way, when you read all the sacrifices of the Old Testament, you, you can see how they all come together in Jesus. There were sacrifices for different kinds of sins. Jesus fulfilled them all. Through his death, we have forgiveness for all kinds of sins. We don't need five different sacrifices as Leviticus sets out. Finally, the last lens we can look at Jesus through is one of my favorite lenses, the Old Testament holidays. Great way to see Jesus. Here's a Jewish family celebrating the holiday of Passover. Passover is in the spring, March, April, and it celebrates the events of the book of Exodus. Israelites were slaves in Egypt, you know the story, 400 years of slavery. Taskmasters were set over them. And finally, you know, the, this is what the movie The Ten Commandments or The Prince of Egypt is based on. I think these are stills from The Prince of Egypt. And um, if you've seen The Ten Commandments movie, you know that the Israelites cried out to God and he sent Charlton Heston to deliver them. Um, but his real name actually is Moses. And Moses went to Pharaoh with that message from the Lord, let my people go. Pharaoh hardened his heart. God sent plagues of judgment onto Egypt like lice. And these might be the locusts. And the last plague was the worst one, the death of the firstborn children of the Egyptians. And so that Israel could have life instead of death, God told them, here's what you do. Take a perfect lamb, kill the lamb, and put the blood on the doorposts of your homes. And then when I see that blood, I'll pass over you, and the plague will not be on you to destroy you when I strike Egypt. And in commemoration of all of this, every year, the Jewish people celebrate Passover to remember what God did. And here are the Israelites coming out of Egypt. Many years later, Jesus sat down at Passover with his disciples in the upper room. We know of that as the Last Supper. This is the Last Supper by Leonardo da Vinci, and honestly, it probably looked absolutely nothing like this. It probably looked like this. And at the Last Supper, it says, as they were eating, Jesus took bread the unleavened bread made without yeast that we eat each year at Passover. And after blessing it, he broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, take and eat, this is my body. And then he took a cup 
which as it turns out, is the third of four cups that we still drink today at Passover. And when he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink of it all of you for this is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. And the New Testament goes on to teach us that just as the Israelites were freed from their slavery, through Jesus' death, we're freed from what Jesus himself called the slavery to sin as part of our lives. And that's why Paul says, clean out the old leaven that you may be a new lump as you really are unleavened. Leaven is a symbol of sin um, very often. For Christ, Messiah, our Passover lamb has been sacrificed. Let's therefore celebrate the festival not with the old leaven, the leaven of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Okay, what did I hit wrong here, Phil? Thank you. So the next day, John the Baptist saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. When he called him the Lamb of God, you know, we live in San Francisco. It's urban. We don't have lambs in the streets. I'm from New York. The wildest animal I ever saw growing up was a pigeon. But when you get to read the Old Testament, you see the lambs that go to their death for sin. Um, Then you appreciate that Jesus is the lamb of God, not because he's like soft and cuddly, like a little lamb you hold in your arms, but because he went to a violent death for our benefit, like the lambs of Passover did and the other sacrificial lambs. So Jesus fulfills Passover that way. Real quickly, I'll mention another holiday that shows Jesus. In the fall, we have something called the Feast of Tabernacles. And I'll just say that the last day, there was a water ceremony at which Jesus stood up and said, if anyone's thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from within him. And on that holiday, as people were praying to God to keep sending rain for the coming year, Jesus got up and spoke of another kind of water, the living water he would provide. He was going to be the fulfillment of the prayers and the hopes of the Feast of Tabernacles. And there was a conversation going. People argued among themselves, and the people were divided because of Jesus. No one was neutral, see. They were pro or con. He was saying, I'm the fulfillment of this holiday, and he got the discussion going. And people asked the most important question of all, who is this Jesus? No time for this, but only to come back to Genesis 12, that through God's promises that we see throughout the Old Testament, In Jesus, ultimately, all the families of the earth will be blessed. And when you read the Old Testament, look for for prophecies about him. Look for pictures that illustrate Jesus coming. Um, Look for times when God appeared as a human being in the pages of the Old Testament. Look at the sacrifices. 
and think of Jesus as the ultimate sacrifice for us. Read through the holidays and see how they're celebrated in the New Testament and how they point to Jesus. You may want to have a, a commentary or a little book in hand to help you through all of this. But I promise you, if you delve into the Old Testament, you'll be rewarded. You'll find Jesus there and much else that speaks to us as believers today. I would like to um, segue at this point into um, sharing a little with you because I told you earlier that most of my Jewish people are not believers in Jesus. We say no to Jesus. We don't read the Old Testament hardly at all. So we don't know it. And when we find out the passages that are about Jesus, we want to explain them away very quickly. That can't be Jesus. Jews don't believe in Jesus. But I want to share with you what we've realized in our ministry at Jews for Jesus right up here on H Street is our, is our headquarters. And we're in 27 cities around the world in 14 countries. And we are seeing more and more openness to the gospel among Jewish people, especially the younger generation. But across the board, more and more Jews are coming to recognize, yes, Jesus was Jewish. Yes, the New Testament's a Jewish book. Yes, the apostles were Jewish. Maybe we need to think and reevaluate. And um, we just completed, um, as I shared with you, a month-long outreach in Jerusalem. We've got a full-time branch in Israel, in Tel Aviv, but we spent a month in Jerusalem reaching out to all these different, what can I call them, subgroups of people in Israel. We had a team to share the gospel with artists and another for sports teams and another for university students and another for religious men and another for religious women. And then there's all the physical needs because Jerusalem is a city of poverty, it really is. And we had people out there addressing physical needs, people with um, drug uh, and substance abuse problems, women caught in prostitution. We, we just covered the range. And we'll be setting up a full-time branch in Jerusalem. And I want to show you a two-minute video clip to give you just a glimpse of what we did in Jerusalem. And then I'll invite you as God puts on your heart to be part of our work. So if we could show that, Phil, that clip. I'm Dan Serrett and I'm the Israel Director of Jews for Jesus. We've mapped out Israel. We've noticed that there are 12 different geographic regions and this is by far the most exciting outreach that we've employed here in Israel. We're here in Jerusalem with the University and Yeshiva team. Brought tons of cases of bottled water and hand them out. I've been able to talk to a lot of people. What's happening here is an event that we've called Art Never Stops and it's a kind of jam, painting and sculpting. It's really fun to get a group of people together and see how people really bond and build connections. I've been working on this show for the last year and a half. We have 11 artists who have dealt with these verses of Jerusalem, Jesus. We have been in the muck and mire of this little river, just cleaning out trash. To just love on the people of Israel. And the salvation stories about God has worked during this month-long campaign 
Russian speakers still are the most open to the gospel. We're going to take you in and see a house we've been working on. It's a woman who's working as a prostitute, and as part of our team to reach out to the homeless, drug addicted, and prostitutes, we're just fixing up her home to share the love of Christ. These ultra-Orthodox women are really suffering, and we're reaching into a community that for many years and in many ways has been unreached with the gospel. What does Mashiach do then? If we all sin, we, we need help. Mashiach, you're praying for it, is the same one that Christians are praying for it to him for return. How could we really impact a larger percent of the population? So we began to pray together and toss around ideas and do some design thinking. A bunch of guys' teams and girls' teams are competing. Never would have thought it happened this fast. Selling some of our handmade items and then talk about VR. Looking for opportunities to engage the community. We're hoping to see these kinds of stories of change all across the city. So when we, yeah, praise God, right? So when we go out there and do this kind of outreach, we always want to engage in a gospel conversation, and we want to get contact information so that we can be in touch with these people and keep the conversation going. So like the last slide said, there were about 1,750 Israelis, 1,750, who left us you know, emails, phones, addresses, and right now we've got a team there following up these over 1,700 people who say, I want to know more about Jesus. And there were 58 during May, who came to faith in him. Since then, it's been five more, so 63. Mostly Russian speakers, because they're very open to the gospel. And I want to invite your participation today like this. You have a index card you received as you came in. It may be in the, uh, in the handout, but take out the index card. They're different colors. Um, just take it out. Um, does anyone need an index card? Who didn't get one, yeah? A lot of people didn't get a card. Can we have those handed out to people? Great, they're coming down the aisle. When you get your card, if you don't like the color of the card, turn to your neighbor and say, I don't like the color of my card. Can I swap with you and get a color that you really like? And what I'd like for you to do is just jot down on that card your contact information, name and address, email, phone, as much as you'd like to give, and we'll see to it that every month you get this. This is our Jews for Jesus newsletter to keep you in the loop, to give you things to pray for, to uh, let you uh, know the best ways that you, know, you can share your faith with your Jewish friends and your Jewish neighbors and fellow students. And we'll also have many articles to connect the Old and New Testament dots together. And every month, we have a devotional by our director, David Brickner, to encourage you in your faith. So let's keep in touch. Fill out the card. And what you can do after you've filled it out is um, either give it to me or Joel Rickert. Um, we'll be at the... Um, Jews for Jesus literature table we've got out there. Um, you could also put it in offering boxes um, at the back. Now, um, here's what you can also do by way of being involved with us. Pray. Goes without saying, right? 
what I want you to pray for is the follow-up. We've got a small team in Israel, Hebrew speakers, Russian speakers, following up over 1,700 people personally, one by one. It's a lot of work. They need your prayers. Please pray. And finally, like I mentioned, there is a table out there for uh, you'll find literature, a lot of free things for the taking. You'll find things like this DVD, Survivor Stories, the story of six or seven Jewish Holocaust survivors who came to faith in Jesus. Amazing that God's light shines even in the midst of the Holocaust. And if you like to learn more about Jesus and the um, festivals, like we showed in the PowerPoint, here's a book. It's called Christ and the Feast of Pentecost. Yeah, but you didn't know that was a Jewish holiday. It is. And we've got other holiday books there too. So I look forward to greeting a lot of you um, after the service. Thanks. It's been a real joy to be with you here today. God bless. As our team is coming up, I just uh, want to do mention that prayer is probably the most significant thing we can do as believers. Uh, the song we're going to sing is Love on the Line. And yes, God put it all on the line for us. But for some other ministries too, like when they go to Israel, uh, they, they are putting their selves on the line too in representing Christ to a lost world. So we want to be praying that God's protection is on those who put themselves out uh, 